relationships. Let's talk about relationships today. I want to talk about power couple relationships. All right? When I when you hear power couple, who do you think of? All right? Think about it for a moment. Power couple power friends, power team. When I grew up, I grew up in the era of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, and that was a power couple, all right? They were powerhouses on the basketball court. And uh, yeah, Michael Jordan gets all the credit, I know, but it really, it was Scotty feeding him the ball. It was, it was Arkansas, by the way, uh, feeding him the ball, making him look good. And so, uh, anyways, as you think about that now, Today, who is it? Is it Curry and Durant? Sorry, Thunder fans, if it's a little too soon uh, to bring up Durant into the into the conversation. We'll see this coming week. I think it'll be a sweep. Uh, maybe uh, California will, uh, Golden State will win again. Uh, I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't care. Uh, I don't even watch NBA. Uh, so uh, you 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 might just think about power couples. You might even think about it in the political world. Power couples. There are power couples like Bill and Hillary. All right, power couple for a long time. They've been a power couple and uh, influence. And listen, you can't talk about one and not talk about the other. So another power couple could be Putin and Trump. I don't know. I'm an equal offender, okay? So I will equally offend both parties if you hang around here uh, very long. So you just choose what you think is the best representation of a power couple and what makes them a power couple. I grew up in the days of Ernie and Bert, okay? Ernie and Bert were a power couple. They taught me my ABCs. They taught me my one, two, threes. They taught me my colors. Anybody else grow up under Ernie and Bert? Raise your hand. All right. Before all these other Dora the Explorers and whatever out there. And so um, Bert and Ernie, maybe uh, if you were kind of a uh, I wanted to be a cop when I was growing up, so Starsky and Hutch was a power couple. Uh, whenever Barney and, uh, and and Andy, they were a power couple, if you will. How many of y'all like Andy Griffith still to this day? Still can't I laugh at Barney and his bullet. Uh, so you can think about uh, the power couples there. Uh, Lenny, excuse me, Laverne and Shirley. Y'all remember Laverne and Shirley? Not as popular as some, but some of y'all remember them. Okay, you're dating yourself just like I am Lenny and Squiggy. You know, they were on the same uh, sitcom. They were, they were certainly a couple for sure. Nobody that is going to do anything of significance, I'm convinced, will do it outside of just, will do it just in isolation, okay? Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, if you think about it like that. So you can be a Lone Ranger, but did you have a Tonto? And who is your Tonto? When you think about relationships, I think they actually extend us. They extend our life. They extend the quality of our life. They extend the impact of our life. And uh, so I want you to be thinking about who is your power partner, all right? Who, is, who, who helps complete you? Now, you can think in marital terms. Certainly, hopefully, there's a, a beautiful symmetry there. You can think on your, uh, on your workforce. You can think in your faith. It may not be somebody you're married to, somebody you work with. It may be somebody in your faith that, that actually helps make you stronger and more robust and confident in your faith. So who is your power person? Because you have to be careful because power works both ways. It works in the negative and it works in the positive. So in your power relationships, do you have a 
power relationship that is a negative relationship. The, the scripture even speaks of it, how some relationships weaken us. Bad company corrupts or ruins good morals. If you are with somebody, and you could be dating or you could be working, it could be any number of things, but if you're with somebody and they are pulling you down or away morally from God, ethically, then you might want to reconsider that relationship. Yeah, oh, no, 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 I'm going to pull them closer to God. You know, you watch your kids and who they play with. And I know your kids are the moral examples of purity and godliness. But those other kids down the street, they're the ones that you got to watch out for, right? Because yours are perfect. Uh, well, okay, think that if you will. But you're watching your friends, your kids' friends, as much as you're watching your kids. Hopefully, if not, you should be. Uh, because of this right here. Bad company will ruin good morals. So that's the reality. Some relationships will weaken us, but also some relationships will empower us. And that's what I want to focus on. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So you put two together and they're going going the same direction. There's not sideways energy, but there's forward progress. You can do amazing things for God. You know, power couples, again, can make power uh, and impact on another generation. A team uh, on, on the job can make a tremendous, tremendous impact in forward progress. Again, has a great return on its labor. The New Living Translation puts it like this, because they have, they, they can help each other succeed. Hopefully you have relationships around you that are helping you succeed. Succeed in your faith, Succeed in your walk with God. Succeed in, in joy. Succeed in, in all those goals and objectives that you might have stated or unstated in your life. You have people in your life that are helping you succeed. Get ahead. Empower. So here's what I want you to do right now. Zero in on that one or two people in your life that have maybe the most influence over how you feel, how you think, how you do, what you go about. It could could be somebody you're married to, could be just a close friend, could be any number of things. And do they weaken me? Ask yourself this question. Do they weaken me or do they empower me? Do they move me forward or do they move me backwards? They bolster my morals, they tear down my morals. The people in my life, am I being empowered or am I being weakened? But you must also do due diligence on yourself and ask yourself the question, am I an empowerer or am I a weakener? Do I weaken others? Am I pulling other people down? You think about it and really assess who you are today in and of your walk with God, your place in society, your place in the workforce, your place in the neighborhood, wherever you live, work, play, learn, whatever you do, how are you a builder up or do you tear down? Now, what we're not going to do is we're not going to focus on those who weaken us today. We're going to focus on those who empower us. And then we're going to try to focus on ourselves and make sure we're a, a person who helps empower other people. In, in for. So we're not going to study, let's not do this. Let's study what we should be. And think about it like this. When you study, when they teach bankers to study counterfeit currency, they might show them what counterfeit currency look like, but they really want to show them what a real, legitimate, government-issued, 
federally issued bank reserve note looks like, feels like, smells like, the paper it's on, the insignia, the, the placing of the, of the ink on the paper and the quality of it. You study quality and then you don't settle for anything else. So today I want us to study quality. What does power relationship, what does a power relationship look like? And am I a power person in a relationship? So we got to have a definition, right? You got to put our arms around it in some kind of manageable fashion. So here's my definition for a power friend, okay? It's a person, okay? They give their best to you. And they expect the best from you while they're developing the, the best in you. Okay, they're going to give their best to you. They're going to offer you their best. They're going to offer you their wisdom, their talent, their experience, their pains, their sorrows. They're going to offer all of themselves to you. But they're doing that, putting themselves out there, expecting, believing that you're going to give 100% your best to them. Every marriage should be a power marriage. Lay this over your marriage. Or is, is my mate or am I giving my best to the relationship? And then are they giving their best back to me? And is it developing the best within us? So you're going to lay that over any kind of relationship whatsoever. And I want you to be thinking of beyond marriage, though. Be thinking about all of your relationships. Am I giving my best? Are they giving their best? Am I expecting the best from them? And are they, and am I developing the best within them? So we can talk about relationships on so many different levels. I want to talk to you about how we kind of talk about it around here, especially as our pastoral team. We talk about how we all need 3D relationships. That three-dimensional or three depths of relationships, however you want to put it. The first one you might think of is an advisory relationship. I was listening to a podcast recently about a, about a person talking about mentoring, an incredible podcast just on mentoring relationships. And I used to kind of think of about, okay, you go out and you find your mentor. And that is your mentor for the rest of your life. But he got a totally different perspective on it. He said, you need to think about mentoring as, or apprenticeship relationships as in you know somebody who has a very good marriage and you're newly married, or you're struggling in an area of your marriage. And so you come to this person who has a good marriage and have figured it out, say, hey, would you walk with me? And would you spend some time with me? Would you counsel me? Would you coach me? Would you help me become better at being a spouse? Don't, don't, I'm not, not, not going to talk about my spouse and how I, you can help me make her better or him better. No, no, no. I want to talk about how I can become better. And you get somebody in your life and walk with them for a year, meet with them once a week, every other week, over coffee. It doesn't have to be long, be an hour, 30 minutes. It's just where they're in text communication, where you can pick up the phone and call them. Hey, I just, I just need help with this. He, she is feeling this, and I'm not feeling this. And so would you, and then you just have somebody walk with you in marriage. But you might find somebody else because you're looking at your life and you're kind of, you know what, I need some help in my prayer life. And you, you find somebody or you know somebody who's fervent in prayer, active in prayer, believes in prayer. You go with that person and say, hey, would you teach me to pray? And most likely you ask somebody that, they're going to be really humble and shy and bashful about, I can't, I can't teach you. you know, just, just go with me. Would you just, can I pray with you for a few times? 
Would you, would you give me a, a book reference? Or would you send me an article? Would you give me some verses to memorize? You know, you walk with different people at different seasons for different lengths of time. Find the apprentices out there in your life. Paul had them. He had Paul and Barnabas. Whenever Paul was developing his theology, he had Ananias. You can read about that in his conversion. When he gets to Damascus, he spends time with Ananias. Whenever he goes out and and begins his ministry and missions, he's walking with Barnabas. I think Barnabas even helps him emotionally become mature. And emotional maturity and spiritual maturity, you can't separate. All right? Peter Scazzaro says that very clearly, that you cannot separate spiritual health from emotional health. They go together. But he also had accountability relationships. So there's the person that's mentoring you. Then there's the person that you are kind of an advisory, excuse me, an accountability relationship with. Advisory, accountability, and that accountability relationship is just somebody's walking. It's an equal to you. This, these are the ones that you do one another's with. Okay, when Paul went on his second missionary journey, it says that Silas went with him. Now, Silas, according to Acts 15, he is actually a leader in the church. So it wasn't as Paul was discipling Silas. They were actually probably very much equals. Silas was from the church in Jerusalem, and Paul is is kind of becoming a leader. And so if you really look at Paul and Silas, they were probably equals going through ministry together. So who are you doing one another's with? Who are you praying with one another? Who are you confessing your sins to one another? Who are you loving one another? Who are you uh, walking through life with in your one another relationships? But here's what I want to focus on in that whole power relationship is apprenticeship relationships. These are the ones where you become the protege and you have a mentor. This is where you are pouring into somebody where you're taking your limited skill, knowledge, and experiences. You're taking your set of values, and you are transferring them on. Listen, we have said around here that to be a disciple of Christ means that I am fully obedient, multiplier, following Jesus. Paul was a multiplier. I have a note, I have a a document on my computer, uh, and it literally I'm just I'm reading through the New Testament. Every time I read of a situation where Paul is pouring into somebody, I jot their name down. I put it in this file. I put it in this file. I've counted up to 21 different people that Paul references in his letters, in Acts, where he is pouring into someone else. You can go to 2 Timothy and go to the last chapter of 2 Timothy, and you can find 15 people where he is pouring into references. I need them and they need this and we need each other. And he is referring to them, excuse me, 15 people in 12 verses by name that he calls out in that passage. Paul had many people that he had an apprenticeship relationship with. But I can tell you right now, there was nobody that has been more ink spilt on, there has been more written about, that you see a better apprenticeship relationship than with Paul with young Timothy. And you can go all the way back to Acts chapter 16, verse 3, whenever Paul, when Timothy becomes a believer, and evidently Paul was in that process of helping him become a believer, and he literally in Acts 16 says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. I want you to come with me. 
Any great apprenticeship relationship is not arm's length, but heart connected. They were together physically. They were together mentally. They were together emotionally. They did life together. And 15 years later, we're going to read in Philippians where he is now referring Paul uh, Timothy back to the church of Philippi, which he was probably with them in Acts 16 when Paul first went to Philippi. If you go back to my Easter message uh, and re-listen to that, you'll find that Paul, Silas, and most likely Timothy were there when the very first time the Macedonian call came upon Paul and they first took the gospel, gospel to Philippi. I'm giving you a lot of history, but I'm building on the fact that these power relationships don't happen by accident. They happen with great intentionality. Great focus. And that's exactly what Paul is doing with young Timothy. So much so that as his protege, he begins to send him out as his, if you will, ambassador. He sends him to the church at Corinth. And it says in chapter 4, verse 17, it says, That is why I sent you Timothy. Now notice the, the, the love and the admonition between the two. My beloved, faithful child in the Lord. It was as if Paul was saying, listen, I'm sending you a part of me. I'm sending a part of my soul to you, Corinth. I'm sending you my, my protege. I'm sending you my apprentice. I'm sending him to you so that he would pour into you because he is faithful and he is my beloved you see the, the endearment? See the love? See the connection? Now, that's Corinth. That's 1 Corinthians. Let's go a little further down the timeline and let's go to Philippians chapter 2 where we'll be today. And in Philippians chapter 2 verse 20, this is what Paul said of this young Timothy. He says, I love, I, I have no one like him. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of believers out there. There's a lot of believers in Rome. There's a lot of believers in Corinth. There's a lot of believers in Thessalonica. There's a lot of people, believers in Ephesus. I've spent a lot of time in all these places, but I can tell you this. There is no one like Timothy. When you think about relationships and you think about that statement, I have no one like him. I just dove into that statement a little deeper and he uses an adjective in this, in this statement in the Greek language that refers to one equal in soul. That, that I'm sending you one who is of my soul. That's when you have a powerful relationship. A deep, hearted, not a head-to-head Not of my mouth to your ears, me giving you all the facts and you listening to me because you're my protege. No, this is soul to soul. I'm giving a part of myself to you. The situation is, as we know from, the, from, from studying through Philippians, that Paul is not in Philippi. He is in Rome. He is under house arrest or could be actually in jail. We don't know exactly, but he is away. He is not there. 
He wants to be there. He longs to be there. And he says, but I can't come right now. So I am sending you Timothy. And we're going to read about two different people. And we're going to see power relationships in both of them. Because again, what we're doing, we're studying what a power relationship looks like. So I want you to jot down a few qualities and I want you to be assessing, okay, do I have those qualities in my relationships? Do I, am I living in power relationships with other people? Do I have a power relationship at all in my life? Am I a power friend to the friends of my own life? Here's quality number one. Power friends will live selfless so that others may live fully. They live selfless so that others may live fully. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. If, if you even go back to verse 19, he even talks about, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. So he's referring here to Timothy, and we'll get there in just a moment. But here's what I want us to just stop and put our brakes on for a moment. We do not live in a society or in a culture that practices selflessness. We are a very self-centered self-seeking, what's in it for me. It's not fair. We use that phrase. Our kids use that phrase. It's not fair. I want, why don't I get in? We just grow up as people. I was going to say adults, but we're just boys who shave. And I don't know that we ever grow up sometimes in these ways because we continue to be selfish. And we continue to be seek after self. We continue to seek what's in it for me. Scott Peck said it like this. He said, we are all born narcissists. And that learning to grow out of our narcissism is at the heart of the spiritual journey. It's about me. Some of y'all right now are critiquing this message and saying, I don't like this message. You know, honey, let's, let's, uh, let's skip out. You go to the bathroom first, and I'll come behind you in five minutes. Or, you know what, let's try another church, because I really need a warm fuzzy right now, and I'm not getting it. I'm not feeling it. You know, this whole, uh, what's in it for me? I don't like the band. I, I like the music. I don't like the pastor. I don't like the children's ministry. Boy, you know, they weren't serving me well today. And, and you know, no, no, nobody gave me a bulletin and they gave you, you know, this whole what's in it for me and give to me and serve me really comes down to me asking this question. Am I, are you a Philippians 121 believer or am I a Philippians 221 believer? Now that means nothing to you until you read those verses, okay? But I want you to continue to ask yourself, am I a 121 or 221? Am I a 121 or 221? If you read 121 Philippians, then you're going to kind of go back a couple of, you're going to go back a chapter where we were a long time ago and you're going to read where Paul talks about this, that for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm not worried about my gaining until I'm dying. Right now, I'm living my life for Christ. I'm living, thinking, breathing, processing. I live my life. Is this pleasing to God? No, is it pleasing to me? Do I want to do this? No, no, no. Does God want me to do this? I live my life for God. Paul said it in another passage. This was not just one off. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I'm dead, okay? I've been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live. So the old narcissistic Mike McDaniel or an old narcissistic Paul is going to be taken off the shelf. He's going to be crucified. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I, for me to live is Christ. That, therefore, that is one believer. That's the believer we all need to be leaning into. That's the one I need to be seeking. That's the one I need to be dying to myself and living more and more for Christ. That is a person who is a contributor. They're a part of the mission of God. For me to live is Christ. And how can I live my life more for that? And he's never going to ask me too much because I'm already willing to give it all to him. He's 10%? No. 100% God. You're, you know, my, one day a week? No, no, no. Seven days a week, God. My, not just Sunday mornings? No. Every day of my life on my job, I want to live it for you. That's what we want to be. I'm afraid too many of us are not 121s. We're 221s. We're consumers of religious goods and services. For they seek out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Are you a 121 or a 221? Because if you're a 221, it's going to be what's in it for me. What do I get out of that? What, what, what do I gain? What, 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 what is, what, how's this going to make me happy? How's this going to fulfill me? And it becomes about me. That's where whenever we're talking about a power friend, we're talking about a friend who is not living for self, but is living that self-lust so that you could live more full. It's a person who's giving their best so that you will be, and they're going to expect you to become your best. They're going to be giving their best to God, their best best to you and they're best to others. They're not going to be saving it back for self. It's selfless living. It's me to live as Christ living. See, the problem here that we're talking about is that Paul was in Rome and he couldn't go to Philippi, so he needed the believers at Philippi needed somebody. And so what Paul turns around and does is sends his power friend, Timothy. But now notice this statement so we can get it all in context. Look at verse 20. He's talking about Timothy. For I have no one like him who will genuinely concern, genuinely concerned for your welfare. I mean, this guy, Timothy, we're of the same soul. He is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Why? Why doesn't he have this? Is it because there's, oh, there's no believers. This is the early church. There's no followers of Christ. No, the problem is not supply. The problem is quality. It wasn't that there weren't believers in Rome because we know that there were believers in Rome. Paul in Romans 16 greets 26 of them. And if there were 26 that he greeted, there were probably 26 spouses. And if there were 26 spouses, there were probably 26 kids. And if there were kids and there were second generations, and there was lots of them. One scholar said there's probably 100 believers in Rome. And right now, Paul can only find one. One. Why? For they all seek their own interest and not those of Christ. Holy guacamole. We got a hundred believers 
And Paul can only find one? He can only find one? That's 1%. It's easy math, okay? That's preacher math right there. I mean, it's 1% of the believers out there that are, that are able, that are self-sacrificing, that are living selflessly. They're going to give themselves fully so that other people can live more fully. You know, let me ask you this question. What do you think is the greatest challenge on the shoulders of Grace Point Church nearly 17 years into our existence? What do you think is the greatest, heaviest challenge on our shoulders? Is it, is it money? Is it finances? Well, you're going to hear next week in our strategy meeting that you guys have been faithful. God has blessed. And we're going to have this strategy meeting next Sunday. And it's going to be about one Lord, one church, one mission. And you're going to find that God has provided for us. It's been, it's been an incredible year. And God is, in, through you and your obedience, and we're going to propose some things to you because of your blessings and faithfulness to give, that we're going to be able to do some more with missions than we've ever been able to do before. We're going to be able to do some more locally. We're going to be able to do more into your families than we've ever done before. And, and, the, trust, and the trustees who are our financial governing body, they're unanimous behind it, and we're presenting it to you next week, and I'm excited about it. So it's not finances. Space, Mike. You're running out of space, right? Look around you. You see an empty seat anywhere in the house? We got space. We got space over in the kids' area. We got space in the preschool area. So space. Oh, Mike, it's because you're not reaching the unchurched. You see, we've had a vision since the beginning of our church. Literally, since we began our church, this has been our vision. That we exist as an authentic community for those who've given up on the church but haven't given up on God. So we want to be a church for the unchurched, those who've given up on the church. They haven't given up on God. Some have, but really they've given up on the church. That means we're, we're really seeking to go after unchurched, unengaged with church people that are out there, some believers, some are not believers. And if you line up 100 people across this stage and you were to ask, and this is just brand new, we looked back over the past two years, over 300 surveys that come in through our North Point New Members class that we offer three times a year. And we've asked you this question. How long were you out of church before coming last North Point? We had somebody that had been out of church for 25 years. 71% of the people that come to Grace Point Church were not affiliated. They were either de-churched or unchurched or never churched. And that is a beautiful accomplishment of a mission that we want to continue. Can you give the Lord a hand on that one? Because that's some of you. Here it is. The biggest challenge is members willing to own a meaningful ministry. Members who understand our motto when we say that every member is a minister and every ministry is meaningful. That is the biggest challenge facing our church. Every week when we come together, you may not see it, you sometimes see it, you may not understand it, but it takes over 250, 285 at best count, volunteers just to function throughout the week. People who say, I'm going to give my time, my talents, my treasure. I'm going to give myself to, to a ministry. And here, here's, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge facing us. So I, I want to take just one. 
I want to take just one area. I want to take We World Preschool Ministry. I want to take, I want to take the elementary school ministry, and I want to just talk about them because if you were to take them, and it takes 285 volunteer ministers. Hey, by the way, we have over 900 members of our church, okay? So plenty of covenant members have said, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm, I'm here to be a member. I'm here to be a contributor. I'm, I'm a part of the, of the team. I have over 950. It takes 285 to, to accomplish everything that we do. We have 64 vacancies right now in preschool and planet kids. 64 vacancies. It's, so, it's, it's been so incredibly challenging lately that literally we have been closing down preschool classes and merging them together because we don't have enough ministers to step up to minister. And I can tell you this, in 16 years as a pastor of this church, I've never stood on this stage or any other stage or any other platform or any even in the living room when we launched and I've ever had to say, guys, we need to realize we've got a ministry here and it takes all of us. Now, if you're a guest listening in, this is just the reality. Just calling it a spade, a spade. We have existed for this reason for a lot of years to activate and arm our members for ministry and mission. And that's not stopping. That's, that's been our mission. That will be our mission. And so I come back to Philippians chapter 2. I come back to 2 verse 20. I come back when he said, Paul said, Hey, by the way, I, I'm, I'm sending you Timothy because I don't have anyone else. I only have 1% of 100% of the believers. Because the others, why? The others care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus doesn't fit into my travel schedule. I'm really tired, Mike. You don't understand how hard it is. I live a busy struggle. I get it. And we're talking about kids when they are that big. And we have a short window to shape their souls for Jesus. Unacceptable. I'm going to make it so simple for you. You just write... Leodra at gracepointchurch.net and you just say, I don't know where I'm in, but I'm in. I'm in. Or you can fill it out on a communication card that's in the back pocket in front of you and you can just put, I'm in. All right? Be, be really helpful to put your name on the front so we can know who you are. But uh, at least I'm in. I don't know where that is. I don't know where the, I am in. I am not going to be a consumer of religious goods and services anymore. I'm going to be a contributor to the kingdom of God because I want to be a Timothy. I want to be a power player in the kingdom of God. I want to give myself fully. I want to give myself fully so that other people can leave, live fully. Let me read you a story very quick. Listen very carefully. This is a story about four people named everybody. Somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done. And everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it. But nobody did it. Somebody got mad about it because everybody, it was everybody's job. And everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. 
Guys, stop, stop looking around and start saying, God, here I am. I'm in. How do you want to use me? I want to live selflessly so that other people can live fully. That's a power friend. Secondly, is that they will possess a character that is gospel-infused. Okay? Now, we can talk about business ethics. Where do you get your business ethics? You can talk about moral relativism. Where do you get your morals? I get my morals over here. You can talk about all this different shuffling around. Let me just tell you where character comes from. It comes from the gospel. It comes from the finished work of Christ on the cross and the death, burial, and resurrection. If your character is not tied back to Christ, then you don't have complete character, okay? And I'm tying that back to what Paul said here whenever he talks about uh, this young Timothy guy. And he says in verse 22, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. That word proven is the idea of testing something. Timothy's been tested. He's been tested, man. He's, he's legit. He's the, he's the real McCoy. He's the real thing. He's got proven worth. And then it goes on. How as a son, and this is how his worth is, tied with the Father and how he has served me in the gospel. The gospel and the work of Christ should infuse and build character in you to where, okay, God, Jesus, you lived this way, that's going to be the standard by which I'm going to live my life. You live selflessly, I'm going to live selflessly. You lived above reproach, I'm going to live above reproach. You were a friend of sinners, I'm going to be a friend of sinners. You lived that others could live, I will live so others can live. Let the gospel and the work of Christ be the character that you base your living off of. Number three, there's an enduring commitment to the person and the mission of God. There's an enduring commitment. I want to talk about another guy real quickly as I wrap up. Not Timothy. Timothy's not finished, but he just gave a big endorsement for Timothy, obviously. But there's a guy named Epaphroditus. We only hear him about three times in in all the scriptures. It's only mentioned in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, chapter 2, and that's it. We have this three or four verses in the Bible of Epaphroditus, and that's it. What do we know about this guy? What can we put together? Well, he was a church leader from, from Philippi. He was the one who traveled with an offering from the church of Philippi to Paul while he was in Rome to take care of his needs. And so Epaphroditus was the carrier of this. He was the one who took the gift. But Epaphroditus was more than that. There's more of a story behind him. He was most likely born to pagan parents. So he's a first generation believer because his name was a very common Greek name, first century Greek name, that t- dates or ties back to the goddess Epaphrodites, who is the fertility god of the pagan religion uh, uh, of Greece. And so he is probably a first generation believer. As he becomes this follower of Christ, a leader in the church, he's the one who carries this gift to Paul. 
But by the way, this was not just across town take a gift to Paul. They're in Philippi. It's 735 miles by land across the sea to get to Rome where Paul was. It was a three to four month journey. He gets to Paul in Rome and nearly dies. He nearly dies. The Bible goes on to say, I don't have time to read it all. You can read the, 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 the verses that follow because it says that he nearly died. And Paul said, I would have sorrow on top of sorrow because he had this power relationship with Epaphrodites. He had this incredible connection with Epaphrodites. He says, you are my brother. You are my fellow worker. You are a soldier. You are a, a messenger. You are a minister. That's Epaphrodites. He had com- tremendous belief in this guy. And he sends this letter, the book of Philippians that we're reading today. It was sent back from Rome in the hands of Epaphrodites to the church in Philippi. And Michael, you give us all that history. Because I want you to zero in on that phrase. He's a fellow worker. He's not a watcher. He's not a consumer. He's giving himself fully so Paul could live his best life. So Paul could sustain himself. He was bringing a gift to the point of death. He's a soldier. You're in this battle with me, man. You're a comrade in arms. Circle that word. We're going to come back to that. He's a messenger. You brought a message from Philippi to me, and I'm sending a message from me to you. You are a minister. You ministered, I think it says, to my needs. Paphrodites, man, this guy is legit. He is all in. He is sticking in there. He is a part of this relationship. He has commitment to this, enduring commitment, even though he's about to die. He could have called his mama and said, I'm coming home, mama. He didn't. He stayed with Paul. Whenever you're in a power relationship, you have a person who will stick with you no matter what. This whole Christian walk thing, it's not for the wimps. It's not for the weak need. It's not for the fainted heart. It's for brothers, fellow workers, soldiers, messengers, and ministers. It's for those who are all in, not those who are half-hearted, weak need, Soft in their commitments, casual in their commitments, convenient in their commitments. They're all in. I will move my life around so that I can minister, serve along beside, be a soldier with you. I don't, listen, I don't want to go to war with anybody who's going to flake out. I want to go to war with a person who's going to stand shoulder to shoulder with me in battle. And some of y'all know that we celebrated a couple of weeks ago our, our oldest son graduating from ranger school. He was in our first gathering and it's just good to have him home for the weekend. And I can remember hearing about all that he was going through and preparing him and how no soldiers left behind and just the whole, the whole creed and to be able to be a part of that experience. And I remember going before he ever got dropped off and at ranger school. And I can remember seeing this sign that was out there in front of, of this place. It's not for the weak and the faint at heart. 
So don't enter into this gate. He says there's actually barbed wire, and there is. There's barbed wire at the top of the gate to keep people from sneaking in or keep people from getting out. And so however you want to see it, it's not for the faint at heart. It's not for the weak. You know what I want to do? I want to put it out in the front of our church. You want to follow Christ? It's not for the weak. It's not for the faint heart. Epaphrodites nearly died doing the soldier, the fellow worker, the minister, the messenger, the calling that God called him to. It's not for the faint. In fact, whenever we were there at his graduation, they sit there and they, the, the soldiers are given this creed. It's a six paragraphs and they memorize it. Man, you can't go to dinner without it. You can't go to breakfast without it. You've got to quote it before. You've got to quote it before you go to bed. You've got to say it all the way through. You've got to say it through a fall in, in unison. You got, there's so much you've got to say it through from memory. It's this challenge. And I can remember the sixth paragraph, the final paragraph, and hearing them all say this phrase. Readily will I display an intestinal fortitude required to fight on the ranger objective and to complete the mission, though I am the lone survivor. And I thought, boy, do we need Christians who will have some intestinal fortitude who will not be consumers of religious goods and services but we'll be power friends in one another's lives. That's what I pray to God that we will raise up at Grace Point Church. So where do I find these? I want one of those friends. I, one is the Bible says to him who has friends must himself be friendly. To him who has power friends himself must be a power friend. So first of all, you've got to ask, am I a power friend? Okay, you wrestle that one down. Number two, I'm going to go there. You're going to hopefully find it in the church. I pray to God you will. But where, where's the number one place you're going to find it? In a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The one who was a power friend to sinners, and that was his reputation. The one who said, hey, listen, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. You talk about being a power friend? Jesus was the penultimate power friend. If you don't know Jesus... You will never be the power friend that you could be without knowing him. Would you bow your heads with me? Father. Father. Forgive me, Lord, for sitting in my comfortable seat in my air-conditioned building looking for the easiest path to follow you. Forgive me. Forgive us. May we not be 1% church where we can't find anybody to teach a three-year-old how to pray. Who, who will refuse to mentor a teenager who doesn't have a mom or a dad at home? God, forgive us. 
because we're too busy. Because we're making more money to buy more things to go into deeper debt. Forgive us. When our calendars get full and we don't have time for you, forgive us. Forgive us for being so stressed with life that we forget you are the one who said, take my yoke upon you, for it is light. Lord, what have we taken on in our life that has so overwhelmed us that is keeping us from walking free and full in giving ourselves selflessly to others? Set us free, Lord, where we have made our lives complicated. Lord, help us to know you, Jesus, the friend of sinners, the friend of who laid down his life so that our life could be. You gave yourself fully. You gave yourself completely so that we could live fully. Lord Jesus, awaken our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?